Hello, everyone, and welcome to Speaking with Joy, a podcast to fill your soul, challenge your mind, and make you brave. I'm your host, Joy Clarkson, and an evangelist for all things good, true, and beautiful. So make yourself a cup of tea, find somewhere comfortable, and let's dive in to this week's episode. At one point, midway on our path in life, I came around and found myself now searching through a dark wood, the right way blurred and lost. My theme will be the good I found there. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to Speaking with Joy. You're joining me once more on the series that I have been calling the Escape Cast, bringing you good, true, beautiful, and wholesome escape during this strange season that we find ourselves in. Today, I discovered via my Patreon, where I've been keeping count, that it is my 40th day of quarantine, which is to say my most quarantiniest day of quarantine, because quarantine literally comes from the Italian word for 40 days, which is what, um, which is how long they would make ships wait um, in medieval Europe when they were coming in from coasts they thought might have the plague uh, to make sure that they didn't have the plague. So I have reached um, this I would say the middle or the end or the two-thirds point, but of course none of us know. I've reached the 40th day of our quarantine. And I recently picked up Dante's um, Commedia, which of course is his journey through hell and purgatory into heaven. And when I read the opening passage, which I just read to you in the opening of this podcast, I felt rather like Dante himself. I felt like waking up on the 40th day of the quarantine that I had discovered myself midway on our path in life, coming around, finding myself searching through a dark wood, the right way blurred and lost. The whole opening to the chapter is this kind of dreamlike confusion of threats and strange menace and a general kind of fogginess. And when I read these words, I couldn't help but feel they perfectly encapsulated how I felt awaking on the 40th day of quarantine, midway on my path in life, coming around, searching through a dark wood, the right way, blurred and lost. One of my friends likes to talk about what she calls book providence, which is the way that kind of books or stories find their ways into our lives in particular moments when we need them. And I have that in my life, but I also have a book providence that involves accidentally reading on the same theme in many places. And the theme that's been visiting me in all of my reading lately, which will be the theme of today's podcast, is that of quest. Stories about people going somewhere and seeking something. So I told you that I've been reading the Commedia, which makes for wonderful reading in these times. It's strange and poetic and um, heaven and hell and glorious. But at the same time, I've also been listening to the audible version of The Odyssey by Homer, read by none other than the inimitable um, Ian McKellen, i.e. Gandalf. Both of these are stories about people on perilous adventures, where the whole force of the narrative is about going somewhere. As I started to wonder why I'd picked up both of these, or, you know, metaphorically picked up, audible as it were, um, I realized that, of course, the reason I'm thinking about this is because at this moment, I am very much trapped and unable to go anywhere. So I thought, what seems like a better escapist um, theme than thinking about that one of quest? 
But at the same time as reading both of these books, I also happen to be teaching on quests. Um, the last week of tutorials was last week. We've been teaching entirely online, and I've been tutoring, tutoring for a course on Christian ethics. And in our final readings for the class, we read the last chapter of After Virtue by Alistair McIntyre. This is an excellent book, one of my favorites that I've read in my time here at St. Andrews. And in it, McIntyre tries to describe how we've gotten to the point where we are in culture, where we're unable to have conversations about moral philosophy in a way that's constructive. And he does this by kind of deconstructing modernism and saying that it all goes back to Kant and a loss of the vision of a life of virtue. And so after kind of deconstructing why it is that we've gotten to this, um, this anemic state in our moral conversations, McIntyre kind of proposes another view of life and of morality, which he bases on virtue ethics, drawing from Aristotle, but really more fundamentally, I think, eventually drawing on Aquinas. And in the final chapter, he begins to sketch his vision for what, what this morality, what this moral vision would look like in our modern world. And the metaphor that he gives for the moral life is that of a quest. He says this, The unity of a human life is the unity of a narrative quest. Quests sometimes fail, are frustrated, abandoned, dissipated in distractions. And human lives may be in all these ways also able to fail. But the only criteria, criteria for success or failure in a human life as a whole are the criteria of success or failure in a narrated or to-be-narrated quest. But a quest for what? So these are the thoughts that have been stirring around in my head. Thoughts of quests and of virtue. And oddly, thinking through this has helped me give a sense of meaning to this journey that we are experiencing. Because while we're not moving physically, we are on this kind of quest through time as we move through these challenges. And as I read Dante and thought about him lost in the wood, I realized that most quests begin in the middle. They begin in the blurry middle part where you're not sure if you're going anywhere. But it's just in those moments that you might actually be developing the strength for the adventure and the battle and the prize that is to come. Perhaps it's wishful thinking, but it gave me something to enjoy and something to aspire to. So this week, I wanted to lead you through some of my thoughts on quests, on stories about going somewhere. I thought there could be nothing more perfectly escapist than thinking about some of our favorite stories involving journeys and goals to be achieved. I'll be drawing on the quest stories mainly of Lord of the Rings, um, Dante's Commedia, and also the Odyssey. And I'll be thinking about how these quests help us understand our own human journeys and what it means to become a good person. We'll structure this podcast around three kind of common elements of a quest narrative. The first being the idea that we begin with the end in mind. Every quest has a goal which is somewhat obscured to us, that as we journey closer to it, we understand both more about the goal of the quest and about the nature of the hero. And that gives us the opportunity to develop virtue as, as the hero journeys towards the end of the quest. Then we'll be looking at the companions that always come um, in a journey because one can never accomplish a quest alone. And almost every story involves both heavenly aids and earthly companions to help you on your way um, to the final goal. And then finally, we'll look at how every quest ultimately ends at home, 
because if it didn't end at home, it would be a story of exile. And what this means for us who are sitting at home at this very moment, um, and why we can hope for that as a good ending, even though at the moment being anywhere other than home sounds nice. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode all about quest narratives and what they teach us about becoming good people. So the first aspect of a quest narrative is that it begins with an end in mind. All quest narratives are stories about going somewhere, often to achieve something or to get something, to rescue some treasure. But the thing that's interesting about this is that while the narrative force is always kind of shaped around straining towards that somewhere that we're attempting to get or that something that we're attempting, the hero is attempting to obtain, often that end or that goal or that telos, as it would be in Greek, the, the end point, the thing that we're straining towards, is kind of obscured or obfuscated to us. And the only way for it to become clear is for us to journey towards it. And as we journey towards it, or as the hero journey toward, journeys towards it, they learn not only to gain information about the thing that they strain towards, but also about themselves. And in that process, they actually gain the strength that they need to obtain the final goal. So let's think of this in the example of Dante, Odyssey, and Lord of the Rings. So in the Commedia, we know that Dante's goal um, is ultimately to get to heaven. In the very opening canto, he, uh, he is told by Virgil, who becomes his guide through hell. Um, he wakes up in the wood, and then Virgil comes out of nowhere, and he's like, let me lead you um, into, into this, this heavenly realms. First you're going to go through hell, and then up through purgatory, and up to heaven. Because Beatrice, um, this woman in heaven, who's kind of this completion of goodness, has seen you and had, had mercy on you, and she wants to draw you towards the love that moves the sun and the spheres. And so this begins this journey for Dante of wanting to get to heaven, to get to where Beatrice is. And really, Beatrice is kind of the thing that he first strains towards. He has a love for her that grows throughout the, the story, and he's drawn to her even more than he is to heaven. But as he gets closer to heaven, that transforms into this love and this desire to be drawn towards God. And so that's kind of an interesting example of how in this quest narrative, um, he sets out on the journey, but he thinks his goal, um, his goal kind of shifts and changes as he gets closer to the actual end of the quest. This is also true, of course, of Lord of the Rings. Um, in Lord of the Rings, we begin with this quest. Uh, he set out, Frodo is set out with the ring, but it's kind of unclear at the beginning what the goal of the quest is. We really know that they're supposed to set out. So uh, at first, they, the goal is to go to, um, to Rivendell, with the ring and decide what to do with it. And then ultimately this turns around to destroying the ring and, and going to Mordor to destroy it. Um, but this is this example again of the journey begins and there's a sense of the end and a, a clear sense of kind of the direction that one should go in to get to the end. But the goal of the journey is kind of shrouded in mystery and a part of the quest is moving despite the fact that it's enshrouded in mystery. And finally, in, in the Odyssey, um, it's interesting because the goal is actually to get home, but that wasn't the goal when Odysseus set out. And also I should preface this, that I, I read the Odyssey forever ago with my mother, um, but I don't actually remember most of how it turns out. I remember pretty key points. So I'm, my, my analysis of the Odyssey is gonna be 
fairly surface level because I, I haven't read it in a long time and I'm just enjoying it now. And I must recommend if you have an Audible account, go get um, the version by Ian McKellen. Uh, it's only 12 hours, which for an audiobook is pretty short. And it's been very delightful, though his voice sounds much younger and different than it did at Gandalf. That's my little uh, pitch for the audiobook, The Odyssey Aside. But that's an example of, you know, when you think the story begins halfway in, in The Odyssey, right? It begins when he has already been out on his journey for a long time, long enough for his infant son, the son of his beloved wife, um, long enough that that infant son has become an adult. Um, and so what began as a odyssey, perhaps, to, to conquer Troy, to go on adventures, has shifted. And now the thing that he longs and strains for, the goal of his entire quest, um, comes to be home. And this is another important thing that I think I've already mentioned, but I think is helpful here. That most quest stories, they often begin in the middle. They begin when action has already taken place the impetus has already kind of gone its way and we find ourselves mired and confused. This is the case with Dante, right? We wake up in this kind of dreamlike state where you're not sure what's happening, but he's already moving. And I think this is a really important kind of embodiment of what the quest narrative is, is that there's a sense of movement and a magnetic pull towards some end, but we don't know what it is. We don't know what it is yet. But the journey is the means of us discovering what the end is. Without the journey, we couldn't actually have the end. Now, I don't mean this to sound very um, like that kind of cheesy quote where um, I think it's always attributed to Abraham Lincoln, where it says it's not the destination that matters, it's the journey. And that's not true, because in a quest, the destination does matter. We are all holding our breath for um, for Odysseus to get home. And we, we, we long and hope that Sam and Frodo will make it to Mordor and back again. Uh, we hope for Dante that he will make it all the way to heaven, all the way to the beatific vision. So the end does matter. But the journey itself matters too, because without the journey, we couldn't actually know what the end was. Oftentimes, what the character sets out on the journey thinking the end of it will be is not in fact what it is. And I love that McIntyre uses this as a way to describe the moral life. Because he says um, that the moral life is, is kind of this the sense of the quest, of a straining towards the good. And um, this is what he says. Uh, he compares it to the medieval conception of a quest, which I think is very helpful. He says two key features of the medieval conception of a quest need to be recalled. The first is that without some at least partially determinate conception of the final telos, or the end, there could not be any beginning to a quest. Some conception of the good for man is required. Then a little bit further on, he, he goes on to say, Secondly, it is clear the medieval conception of a quest is not at all that of a search for something already adequately characterized, such as miners searching for gold or geologists for oil. It is in the course of the quest and only through encountering and coping with the various particular harms, dangers, temptations, and distractions, which provide any quest with its episodes and incidents, that the goal of the quest is finally to be understood. A quest is always an education, both as to the character of that which is sought and in self-knowledge. So what McIntyre is saying here is that the journeyed aspect of, of the quest, the moving through trials and tribulations and difficulties, 
is a part of this kind of two-pronged aspect of a narrative quest. First is that um, it actually reveals to us what the quest is about. If you were to ask Dante in, in the mysterious woods before he enters hell what heaven is, what heaven is that he strains towards, he would not have a full picture of it. He wouldn't have a full inclination of what the good towards which he strained was because he hadn't yet encountered hell. Um, but the second part is that journeying through these things give the, the character, the hero themselves, self-knowledge and an awareness of what they will need to reach the quest or the end of the quest. And I love this because this is actually what he uses to kind of define uh, virtue itself. He says, virtue is that which will sustain us in this kind of quest for the good by enabling us to overcome the harms, dangers, temptations, and distractions which we encounter, and which will furnish us with the increasing self-knowledge and knowledge of the good. So virtue um, is actually, it's really a word that means strength. It's the strengths that we need to achieve the ending of our stories. So if you were to think about Dante, this is a very clear one, right? Because he he goes through, um, particularly this is clear in purgatory, once he starts kind of purging his own, his own sin from his life. And he's developing the virtue requisite to be able to reach the end goal. And so what we learn in, in quests is that um, we have to have the end goal in mind, but that we cannot achieve that or even know what it is unless we move through the story. And as we move through the story, begin to develop the strengths and conquer the weaknesses um, that will allow us to move forward towards that final end. And I really love this on a side note um, for the conception of virtue. Virtue is that development of the muscles that you will need to make it through the journey of life, straining towards the good, straining towards God, if you want to put it that way. Um, and I like this because I think often in our modern world, we can tend to think of goodness and evil as kind of discrete acts, that I do a good thing. Whereas virtue instead asks, not have I done a good thing, but have I practiced the muscle of hope? Have I developed the strength of fortitude or of prudence that I need to achieve the end of my own quest? And I think that's uh, much more helpful in our understanding of what it looks like to develop a moral life, that we're not just occasionally doing good or bad things, that we're, but that we're gradually becoming the kind of people who are strong enough to make it through the narrative, to make it to the end of the quest. And that as we develop those strengths, we also begin to have both a knowledge of ourselves and a knowledge of the good that it is that we strain towards. If you were to think about Lord of the Rings, um, if we were able to, you know, if it was Harry Potter and you could disapparate Frodo from Hobbiton into Mordor and tell him just to drop in the ring, I think that Frodo would not be strong enough at that point to actually withstand the temptation of Sauron. The only reason that he has become strong enough is because he spent these weeks and weeks battling the power of the ring. Now, of course, you could, on the opposite end of that, say, well, he's, isn't he weakened by the time he gets to Mordor? And that does show. Um, but I, I don't think that's true. I think that part of the journey, and perhaps the journey is more clearly seen through Sam, Part of the journey is that it is necessary, it is requisite that he develop the virtue necessary to conquering evil in the journey that leads up to that end point. So that's something I've been reflecting on, is what are the virtues necessary uh, to achieving the quest, whatever quest in my life I'm on? 
Uh, something that's very clear in this regard is like in a PhD, that's a kind of limited quest, right? You kind of, in some sense, um, you know the end goal, which is you want to finish this 80,000 word dissertation. But I think it's actually very applicable to a quest because you have this idea in your head of what thing you're going to create. But really, you can't know the end unless you move through the story. And the end, what your conception of what your dissertation will be like, is really very different at the end than it was at the beginning. And, um, and if you're going to make it through, you have to develop these strengths. For me, it's been kind of a relentlessness of having to go back to the same thing over and over again. And that wasn't something I was very good at before. I had to kind of develop that strength. You kind of sink or swim. Um, and and that, that was something that was interesting to think through is that virtue is the strength that you develop in straining towards the end of a quest. Um, and that that strength also helps you understand what the good and proper end of the quest actually should be. So that's the first element of the quest narrative and how you might understand it in relationship to human virtue. Um, that, that in a quest, we always begin with the end in mind, but that end is somewhat obfuscated to us. We strain towards it, but we don't know what it is. But that as we move through the story and as we develop virtue, we begin to have a clearer sense of what the end will be and we are better suited as people, as heroes, to reach that end. As McIntyre says, a quest is always an education, both as to the character of that which is sought and in self-knowledge. And as I said, this is why we always, we often see quest narratives starting in the middle, because it's in the middle when we're least sure of where we're going or if any of this is mattering, that it most matters to be brave and to stretch those muscles. So if you feel kind of lost and in the woods and if the right way is obscured to you, I want to encourage you that you might be at the most important moment in your quest. The moment when you are either developing the virtues, the strengths that will carry you through to that final end, and that as you develop them, you'll have a clearer sense of what it is. Or you could be nurturing the vices that will keep you from reaching that. So I would encourage you to stay the course um, and to have that image in mind, which was very encouraging to me this week. So the second element of quest narratives that are very important are companions. No one is a hero alone. And of course, this may seem kind of um, contradictory in some sense, right? Because when we look at when we look at these stories, there's always kind of a central character. But that central character could never reach their goal uh, were it not for the other characters around them and with them also speaking and straining towards the good. And in this, I would say there's kind of two different sorts of companions. There are the heavenly helpers and the earthly companions who walk with you. So let's think about this. The heavenly aid. Something I've observed about quest narratives is that they often involve um, or are initiated by a heavenly helper. In Dante, we have um, the fact that he's kind of drawn up here because Beatrice has taken, exam um, taken notice of him, but then that he is met in the woods by Virgil. Uh, I always feel a bit bad for Virgil because... He is the guide for Dante um, through hell um, because uh, Virgil was, um, of course, a writer in the classical world who Dante kind of figures got as close to Christianity as he could. But because he didn't know the truth, he couldn't get all the way through to purgatory in heaven. Um, but he's, he's, he's so good that he's his guide through hell. And um, so we have this, he's kind of visited and helped and even initiated onto his journey by the help of both Beatrice's call and of Virgil's 
help through him through um through hell and then through purgatory um and into heaven with beatrice and um also if you hear the seagulls laughing outside um i hope you enjoy that it's it is the soundtrack of my life one might say they're my only friends at this point um anyway so heavenly aids for dante it's beatrice and virgil for the odyssey the odyssey begins with athena uh, going to Zeus and being like, oh, poor Odysseus. He's a good guy. We should help him out. He should get home. And so she goes in these various disguises and is kind of the the person who initiates this, this Odyssey home. Uh, and then, of course, in Lord of the Rings, you literally have Gandalf who initiates it. And, of course, if you're a nerd like I am, you know that Gandalf is in the mythos of Lord of the Rings, is actually a heavenly or an angelic figure. Uh, and so you have this sense of there being kind of angelic aids along the way. People who both initiate and then help sustain the journey by being um, heavenly companions, people who help them along the way. But then you also have this sense of there needing to be earthly companions, people who walk with you. Of course, this is most beautifully illustrated in, um, in Lord of the Rings, where you have the Fellowship of the Ring. You begin that first book with the nine companions that go with him. And it dwindles down and down until it gets down to Sam Gamgee. And this actually reminds me very much of um, the morality plays, which I have an episode a few episodes back on, um, where you have the every man is accompanied by the virtues and vices, which help him fight. Well, not, he's accompanied by the virtues, hopefully. Um, and the virtues help him fight all the vices up to the point where he gets to like that very last moment when he encounters his own death. And this is often the case in, in, in a quest narrative. You have kind of companions who come with you up to the very edge. And I think of this with, with Sam and Frodo, that, you know, initially you have this big kind of collection of earthly companions that dwindles down to only these two. But if it weren't for that earthly companion, the quest would not have been completed because a quest in life cannot be done alone. And I love what McIntyre has to say about this. He says this. We all approach our own circumstances as bearers of a particular social identity. I am someone's son or daughter, someone else's cousin or uncle. I am the citizen of this or that city, a member of this or that guild or profession. I belong to this clan, that tribe, this nation. Hence, what it is good for me to be has to be good for one who inhabits these roles. I inherit from the past, my family, my tribe, my nation, a variety of debts, inheritances, rightful expectations, and obligations. These constitute the given of my life, my moral starting point. This is in part what gives my own life its moral particularity. So what McIntyre is getting at is that none of us ever come as heroes with no history or identity. What is good for us to do will be in part based on the life that we come from. The rights, the wrongs that we need to right, um, the, the weaknesses that we have, the trials that have to be overcome are kind of enmeshed with our own story and our own history. And the thing I love about him emphasizing this is that that's not to be uh, deterministic. It's more to say, whatever this history that I've been given what shall I do with it? What virtues will it require to overcome the challenges I've inherited? Um, and what virtues have been given to me in the story that I've been given? I actually love this in particular in Lord of the Rings because um, a part of the reason that you feel that the, the quest is successful 
is because the hobbits are this, this good earthly stock who are humble and stalwart and have a sense, such a strong sense of what is good that they cannot be tempted away from it. And this is true too in uh, the Odyssey. I've been listening through it, of course, and over and over again, um, Odysseus's son, who sets out to find him, Telemachus, is told, uh, it, it's very similar to Lord of the Rings, and there's a lot of journeying, and then they fought someone, and then they all sit in a, in a dining hall for a long time, and they eat stuff, and they cry. Greek men were always crying. Um, so in a lot of the dining halls where they sit and eat stuff in various in-between action sequences, they're always telling him, you must be brave like your father. And there's this sense that the stories in quest narratives, the person is never kind of a out of nowhere someone who bears no history, but someone who bears a specific history and must figure out how to pursue the good in the context of who they are, the strengths that they bear, the weaknesses that they carry, and the wounds that they carry. And I think that's really important for us to know that there's no kind of cookie-cutter hero. That all of us come from a history and a context with weaknesses and strengths and, um, you know, generational wrongs that must be righted and generational strengths that must be carried on. So there's the great company that comes behind us, that kind of in the background, but then we also know the, need the people by our sides. Um, to call us, to call out in us uh, what could not be called out alone. We are virtue ethicists, not Nietzscheans. We are not the supermen who, through the power, through our own power, are able to achieve the goal. But we need people walking beside us and reminding us of who we are um, and calling us to be brave and good. And it's in that very context that we're able to develop virtue. And I wonder if this is perhaps one of the weirdest parts of the quarantine which is that we're kind of being asked to go on a quest um, together, but we're all alone. And it's hard for us to call upon our virtues um, in isolation without that context of the community that shapes and makes and pushes us forward. And in those moments, I think that it's helpful to call upon the heavenly helpers, to ask um, for our Virgil, for our Beatrice, for our Holy Spirit to call, to call us on and bring out the virtues in us, even as we can feel alone sometimes. The next and final aspect of a quest narrative is that every quest narrative ultimately ends with a homecoming. The story of Lord of the Rings is a story of there and back again, as Bilbo writes. When we think of um, the Odyssey, the whole story is an aching and a longing and a hoping that Odysseus will make it home to his wife, Penelope. And of course, Dante's is kind of that existential spiritual home, that his soul is drawn back to the source from whence it came, that it's drawn back to the love which moves the sun and the stars. And the reason this is so important is that if a quest narrative ends anywhere other than home, then it's, it's a story of exile. And exiles are our reasons to weep. They are, they are stories without happy endings. I'll never forget when I first read the end of Lord of the Rings, the very last chapter of The Return of the King. Uh, Joel came into my room to tell me that dinner was ready, and I shooed him out with a furious glance as I was so deeply enraptured in this last chapter. And the thing that's so beautiful about it is that after all of this heartache and pain, after this destruction of the Shire, a good portion of the last chapter describes Sam coming home, bringing 
um, the dust that he was given by Galadriel and replanting all of the Shire. And in this sense, you really see Sam as the true hero of Lord of the Rings, the one who goes in the quest and returns home and is able to truly be home. And um, the very final passage of, of the book, it gives me chills even now when I just think about it, um, where they've sent the friend, their friends on back to the Grey Havens, those who couldn't stay, um, which is basically to say to send them to heaven, to send them to kind of the otherworldly place. And it, it ends this way. At last they rode over the downs and took the east road, and then Merry and Pippin rode on to Buckland, and they were already singing again as they went. But Sam turned to Bywater, and so came back to the hill, as the day was ending once more. And he went on, and there was yellow light and fire within, and the evening meal was ready, and he was expected. And Rosie drew him in and set him in his chair, and put little Eleanor upon his lap. He drew a deep breath. Well, I'm back, he said. And this is the best ending to any quest narrative. It's the return of the conquering hero, not merely to a home um, that he can rest at, but to a home that he's able to truly enjoy in a different way because he has become strong enough to enrich the home from which he came. It reminds me of this beautiful passage um, from one of the most famous poems of the 20th century, Little Gidding by T.S. Eliot, where we've gone through this whole kind of spiritual journey. You must go read it at some point. It's online, and it's one of the most um, moving poems. But he, he comes to the very end of the poem, and he says, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the first time. And this is what I think really happens with Sam. He ends all of his exploring with encountering this beautiful world. What could be more homely than that simple description? The evening meal being ready and him being expected. But he's able to return and know this place for the first time in its gift and in its beauty. But this introduces an interesting idea for us. Because if in every quest narrative, the goal is ultimately homecoming, but if also every quest narrative hides the home from us, it hides that final goal so that we must find it only through going on the quest, then it makes us wonder if perhaps home in that, that deep spiritual sense is something that we always long for on earth. As I was thinking through this, it reminded me of a passage from Hebrews 11, where it's describing all the people who lived by faith. And this is what it says. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from the distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. To me, this is a beautiful and compelling picture of the life of virtue. It's straining for the heavenly city, the place that's just out of our view, the reason that we always feel homesick in this journey on earth. And it's hoping that as we journey towards that, we will develop the virtues, the strengths that we need to reach that final destination, that we'll have the companions walking beside us, the heavenly companions that we call upon for help 
that great cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews 11 puts it, and that we'll be brave on that journey because we have that taste, that longing, and that aching for the home towards which we strain. The goal of all this straining, of all this journeying and developing of virtue, is to be at home and to know it as home for the first time. So friends, that is a quest narrative. It is a story with an end in mind, a story that requires companions along our sides and heavenly helpers to aid us in our journey. And it's ultimately a quest to be at home. Thinking through this story, this idea of the quest narrative, gave me a bit of comfort as I woke on my 40th day of quarantine, feeling like Dante lost in the woods. And I hope that thinking through this has also given you something of an escape, and also a way of thinking about your own journey, your own quest and battle in this time. I hope that as you move through the dark wood, where sometimes the good way can be obscured and lost, that you will have a sense of that telos, that end that might be obscured to you, but that is good, that is rest, that is home without being trapped, and that you will be brave and ask your heavenly helpers and your earthly companions to develop the virtues that you need to make the journey. May we all journey well, and as T.S. Eliot says, may we not cease from exploration, but at the end of all our exploring, arrive where we started and know the place for the first time.